The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and tonight I have the privilege of sharing the company of His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan, pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, as well as Father Anthony Chicada, assistant pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, who are going to be our regular show guests this season for Clerical Conversations. Uh, your Excellency Father, welcome to the program and to Season 3 of Restoration Radio. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Mm-hmm. So, the full title of part one of our program tonight is Right vs. Left Politics. And, uh, Your Excellency, we, we spoke beforehand that the subtitle of this could be uh, called Why Republicanism Isn't Right for Us. Now, <laughs> in the landscape of my imagination, uh, I'm looking out into the field of traditional Catholicism, and I'm seeing some prairie dogs popping their heads up, looking around with that confused look on their face when we say something like, Why Republicanism Isn't Right for Us. And the yeah, nature of the show is, yeah, this, uh, the nature of the show tonight is not to be confrontational, but to be educational. And last season you did a show with Stephen on our flagship show that was called America and Catholicism, and we received quite a bit of love letters from our audience about this, and some of which you had to field. But this segment of tonight's program is not necessarily solely for the American audience, because right versus left of anything is now a global concept. I mean, if you're on the right of any issue, it means you hold a conservative position. If you're on the left of any issue, it means you hold a liberal position. And that's how it's understood today. And it doesn't just stop at politics, even though that's the most identifiable usage of the classifier of right and left. But it defines an ideological position across a wide variety of issues. So maybe I think it's best we start with the concept of right versus left and where that paradigm originated. So I think, Father, I think you're going to lead us into that tonight. And so where did the right versus left paradigm genesis as we know it today, where did that come from and what was it born out of? Actually, with the French Revolution. Um, we alluded to this a little bit, uh, I think, in one of the previous shows this, this uh, past season, that the uh, King of France called a uh, constitutional uh, assembly of uh, the estates, which were the, the different factions in, in France, the different divisions of French society. So you had the, the clergy, you had the nobility, and uh, uh, then uh, you had, had uh, others in the third estate. Now, uh, they met in a uh, hall, and as the different ideas and, and proposals started to be circulated, those who, uh, in effect, wanted radical changes in the um, French political system uh, tended to sit on one side and make a lot of noise. And they ended up sitting on the left. And 
their opponents, who were in favor of a, a somewhat traditional political arrangement, they sat on uh, the right of the hall. So these were terms that were adopted by the French press to uh, indicate someone who was in favor of a political change or people who were in favor of the old order. And so that essentially is the origin of the term uh, right and left. It's had uh, different meanings, I guess, throughout history. Uh, and it, it, uh, uh, it's rather difficult to nail it down in modern society, except that the, the idea of the right is someone who is supposedly uh, more conservative when it comes to uh, uh, religious and maybe economic values. And uh, as far as the left goes, someone who uh, is more in favor of change. But these are very vague terms, and their origin is, in fact, in the time of the revolution. And the interesting thing to know, Father, is that um, over the course of the French Revolution, sometimes uh, the right would be emptied out, and sometimes the left would be emptied out. They would get executed. And then sometimes people would deliberately change their seat so as to be able to survive. All that reminds me of the politics of some traditionalist groups even today, that swing back and forth from right to left and from, uh, from left to right again. Indeed. So. so let me ask this question. Oh, we, you know, this, is, this has kind of worked its way into just about every aspect of our lives. So why, yeah. why do both of you think that the right versus left model is so attractive to people? I mean, what, you know, what is it that draws us to compartmentalize things into the right versus left and this whole us versus them mentality? Well, well I, I would say it's a simplification and labeling, wouldn't you, Your Excellency? Well, that and then it's our experience. We've lived through 50 years of revolution, revolution in the church and then consequently revolution in society, revolution in our own country. So therefore, the, uh, an attractive position would be to say those who are opposed to the revolution in some sense or another must be the good guys and those who are introducing the changes leading to revolution must be the bad guy. So it gives us, as you say, uh, Father, it's like a simplified, easy way to look at uh, this um, at, and, and to understand and to be able to talk about what's going on in our life, what, what is going on in the church. The, the trouble with all of that is that um, it's not right versus left, and it never was. It always is truth versus falsehood. And in a Catholic context, that's why you can't use conservative or liberal in the Catholic context, you can only say Catholic, Orthodox Catholic, as opposed to heretical, modernist, or some, or some other term of denigration which is perfectly accurate. So in other words, this paradigm, Justin, that just doesn't work when you're talking about Catholicism. Mm. Where you, we've really started to see it used, actually, was around the time of the changes of Vatican II within the Church. That's right. That's absolutely right. Before that, there, there, maybe the intelligentsia, certainly in America or Europe, they would, they would talk in those terms. But for the man in the pew, that was just, it was unknown. It was unheard of. You were just Catholic. Or you weren't. Yeah, you, you, these labels seem to work their way in. I mean, you know, even we hear the term today, oh, well, I'm a conservative novus ordo. And, you know, I, I always have to kind of chuckle at that because, 
you know, as, as I've heard many, many good sermons over the years say, look, you're either Catholic or you're not. There's no such thing That's as right. conservative Catholic or liberal Catholic, but yet this, this whole model has crept its way into the church now where we define, not, well, you know, we don't define, but you know, we, you know, we're subject to listening to just about every pundit known to man uh, talk about, I mean, even, even whenever uh, you had the, uh, the, the, the so-called election of, of uh, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger, you know, oh, well, he's, you know, he's, certainly gonna, he's certainly going to hew to the conservative line in the church. You know, he's definitely the, you know, the right-sided candidate you know, for the job. And it's interesting because it doesn't stop at the church. I mean, this is, as I said kind of in the intro, this is not particularly an American issue, even though we as Americans are absorbed in ourselves and, and you know, we see and hear everything as right versus left. But this is now something that is definitely saturated in the thinking and the, the, the media coverage of the church today. And when you buy into it, when you buy into this right versus left model, uh, understandably, it's because it's very attractive, right away, you are part of the problem. You are part of the revolution. And I'll tell you why, because what, what all of this is meant to lead to is to uh, a previous theme on Restoration Radio, certainly the writings of Bishop Sanborn and Father Chicada, this idea of the component parts of the church. Frankenchurch, the splintering of the church, all these false concepts of the church. You mentioned Ratzinger. One of Ratzinger's main jobs, which he achieved beautifully, was to establish a high church wing of the conciliar church. It is now um, firmly in place, and I defy even uh, the Argentinian gentleman in Rome to be able really to do too much to, to destroy it, because that's the point. The church is not the church anymore. It's a false religion, and it's divided up into parties. I'm conservative. I'm liberal. I'm Novus Ordo conservative. I'm Novus Ordo whatever. Uh, that's all false. That's all the work of the revolution. They've made a, ter- a terrific amount of progress, almost an entire victory, haven't they, in just about 50 years. And when, when you pull this into the uh, same concept uh, back into the political order and uh, you look at our, our relationship as, as uh, Catholics with uh, modern politics and uh, modern society, if you buy in to the idea of uh, conservatism, in modern politics, and you identify yourself, let us say, as a conservative in uh, politics, in effect, you're uh, buying into a, a, a false system of values, something that, it, it, that sure. really you shouldn't buy into. In, in more ways than one, because as Bishop Samborn likes to say, what's, what's, what's an American political conservative? He's just someone who wants to promote the revolution a little bit more slowly and cautiously than a liberal does. A liberal will be a slightly more open, uh, and of course devious, but, but open in the sense as, as to what his aims are. As we like to say about uh, Wojtyla, soon to be saint, which he was the first, uh, that uh, he was the Napoleon of the revolution. He was the one who said, boys, boys, come on, let's slow it down a little bit here. Let's Let's keep it a little bit orderly. Let's keep it a little bit decent. We're going to scare the horses in the street if we're not careful. That, that was his role. So he comes across as, as, as John Paul the Great and, and, and uh, the, uh, the, the conservative because, like Napoleon, he comes after a revolution and he wants to introduce an element of order. Of course, when you try to have order without having God and the Catholic Church and Christ our King, what do you end up with? 
some form of tyranny. So the liberals, you know, consider him to be a great tyrant. And um, it's, it's exactly the same thing whenever you have any attempt to uh, get the horses back in the stable, to quiet things down, without going back to the to true principles, which are Catholic principles. You're, you're going to, you, you simply end up with, uh, with, with the total confusion. Hmm. Your Excellency, you said something just a few minutes ago about uh, the right versus left being a distraction, and I totally agree with that, um, and, and I think that's part of the aim. And I would ask you know, some of our Catholic listeners here who, who do embrace this, this right versus left paradigm, do they realize that they're actually embracing a fundamental principle of the French Revolution, of which they say that they're trying to... Uh, they're trying to go along with some sort of counter-revolution against, but yet when they see, the, when they continue to jump into this right versus left paradigm, all they're doing is just further burying themselves deeper in this. And so I think you know that's something that that really needs to be said to people. Sure, but of course, understandably, they're probably going to say, "Well, look, look at the the uh, the positions. We are pro-life. We are for small government. We we are against this, or we're for this other. And these are all good values." And it's the left. Those are those are the bad guys. But that sweeps us into that whole world of politics, uh, which is a world of corruption, of compromise, and of all the rest, where there aren't any fixed principles. Certainly in American politics, there are no fixed principles. It's just, as the bishop said, going a little bit slower or going a little bit faster mm-hmm. on, and, you know, on and, the and, path towards tyranny. Right. And, you know, when you lose that, that, that Catholic order, you know, you get crazy quotes like this. I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man, and people drink this up, even Catholics. Of course. Sure they do, yeah. Sure you know, they do. So, and that's uh, unfortunate. So I think that's this is, the whole of our... Go ahead. Who said that? Was that oh, the <laughs> I Believe me, that's coming, and we'll be discussing that, that in two weeks, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Interview number six. Yeah, uh, so, I think you know. I think this is a good this is a good segue here into the uh, the subtitle of tonight's show, which is one that you know Your Excellency came up with about uh, why Republicanism isn't right for us. And I can I can hear I can hear certain people's brains just searing when they hear this. They they, they you know they're just bubbling over. So why would you say, Your Excellency and Father? I, I certainly want your opinion on this as well. Why okay. shouldn't Catholics be involved in republicanism, and why, isn't right, why is it not right for Catholics? Well, the, the first thing that, that you absolutely have to say is to quote old Larry Brueggemann, who's a patriarch of a big traditional Catholic family in Kentucky, who used to say, there ain't a plum nickel's worth of difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. And God knows that's true. He, he was a simple, uneducated man who was full of wisdom. There is no difference between them today. They say it's just a, just a question of, um, well, slate of hand, and um, we'll go a little bit faster, and you'll go a little bit slower. But all of us are totally detached from reality. <laughs> and that's crazy. That's the definition of being crazy. It, the whole system is detached from reality. What reality am I talking about? I'm talking about the reality of the natural law. I'm talking about the reality of revelation. I'm talking about the reality of truth. And the only way for society to organize itself 
that is to say, in some relationship to God, who is its creator, and Jesus Christ, who is the Redeemer and our King. Um, and the, the longer the longer we go, and it's been centuries since the Lutheran revolu- re- revolution, that people have been cut loose from this from this reality that um, that the true religion alone gives us. The longer we go with it, the more we enter into a, a free float. So uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at the positions of the Democrats and you look at the positions of the Republicans and look at that historically, and then you study any one particular issue, you have to end up scratching your head and saying, wait a minute, what are they trying to sell us, a bill of goods here? Well, yes, they are. So why should you participate in this, in this folly? It's at the very best Br'er Rabbit, you're going to be covered with tar. Why on earth would you want to waste your time in this? It's a game. It's an elaborate um, play, a theatrical production. It's not reality. It's not reality at all. Well, uh, one of the uh, a very famous uh, conservative writer, they would call a paleoconservative, named James Burnham, uh, who wrote back in the uh, 1950s, he actually hit... Uh, uh, upon uh, the great truth about modern society, the modern American state, he said that you can't talk about it in terms uh, of being a, uh, a democracy or republic uh, anymore, that, that those terms are simply unrealistic. It's, it's a dream world that, that what, in fact, we're faced with is what he called the managerial state, uh, that uh, there's this this giant state which is itself the uh, the product of a, uh, a long uh, revolutionary process, and this uh, state is is uh, run by managers. It's run by bureaucrats, uh, a group of bureaucrats, politicians, uh, lawyers, media. Uh, 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 banks, uh, large financial interests, and we really don't have any uh, control over this. That uh, the uh, the parties change, Burnham said, but it's the same people on either side who um, uh, essentially who are running uh, running the state and running our lives for us. So. T- uh, that speaks to the question of, of getting involved in uh, party politics uh, itself in the United States, that it really doesn't, uh, it's as, as uh, I think it was Bernie Brueggemann who said that, that there isn't a dime's worth of difference. It's essentially run by the, the uh, same cabal of people and has been for an awful long time. So we shouldn't get excited about the uh, idea that somehow we're really going to change it. The process is, is simply going to continue. Yeah, what, what goes on in the world of politics makes me think an awful lot of Masonic ritual, and for more than one reason. It's a ritual. You can see these guys, uh, you know, they're, they're, they've probably never done, done play acting since they were in high school drama, maybe, and they've probably got a book in one hand, and someone's coaching them as they have to recite certain lines and put on certain costumes and carry out some sort of a ritual. Uh, that's, that's the reality of politics. It's just a ritual play acting on the stage of the media and the stage of the world today. But, but the reality is someplace else. Father um, Fahey, in, uh, in one of his wonderful books, quotes approvingly uh, an Englishman, the Earl of Portsmouth, 
who says that democracy today is virtually a fiction. The real rulers are the small, often unknown groups of men who control nearly all the means of affecting political issues. Um, and that would that would speak very well to the, the quote that Father Chicada just gave, and to, and to James uh, James Burnham. That's not the, what you see is not is not the reality. It's that you have to look for the man behind the screen, and you have to pay attention to the man behind the screen. Mm. So I guess my next question, and it directly relates to this, uh, is should Catholics be involved in politics? I mean, should uh, what, what should their level of involvement be in modern American politics and for our global audience in modern global politics? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think it, it depends. But first of all, you can't take the whole thing seriously. I mean, you take it seriously in the sense that uh, um, it's uh, evil and the system is evil and that it's something that is essentially beyond our control. So you, you start with, I think, that realistic, uh, that realistic understanding that, it's, it's, uh, that it is, as Bishop Dolan says, play acting. But there are uh, instances in, uh, you know, in the political life when uh, you could make a difference, I suppose, as far as a specific issue goes. You know, one of the uh, things that, uh, one of the reasons I go to vote is so I can vote against the school levies. Uh, and uh, vote against taxes. And the thing is that if enough people do that, then you're, you're getting somewhere. But as far as believing the promises of, of politicians that somehow they're going to make things better or that ultimately they're going to be pro-life and make any difference on that, I mean, you don't, uh, uh, you simply uh, don't believe that. You know, if you take, for instance, the, the so-called pro-life President Reagan, I mean, he didn't, um, uh, he never once personally addressed the different marches for life. You know, he, he was a politician. He was compromising and keeping everybody sort of vaguely happy. <clears throat> but the Father Chicago's example is a good one, and that, that speaks very much to some, it's a topic I've mentioned before on some of these restoration radio shows, that is to say, the Catholic principle of subsidiarity, that every issue should be solved, taken care of, dealt with on the lowest possible level in a society. So that's a pretty low level, a local vote uh, for or against a school levy, but it's a way in which people could indeed have, have some effect. And indeed, if one were starting some kind of a reorganization of society, that's where you would work. You know, maybe you would try to hire the dog catcher or, or elected dog catcher would be a decent man. It would have to be very, very basic, very, very low level. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. I remember talking to a traditional Catholic lady who moved um, to uh, Cincinnati years ago, and I think she was either going to run or she was very much supporting someone who's running for Congress. And I costed her at a party, and I said, do you really believe all of this? Do you really take it seriously? She was shocked, and of course, she, she's a true believer. But that's the thing. It's a willing suspension of disbelief. They take all of this stuff seriously. And Reagan's a beautiful example. They just kept on voting. And how many, this figures, I suppose, into abortion, Justin, because how many times have people have bet the, the, taken the bait 
uh, and got the hook right in their mouth because they, they feel very strongly about one issue and they a um, big national issue and they feel that if they get behind the right candidate and then it's going to solve all of these problems. Of course, it never does because that's not how politics work. And the man behind the screen, uh, the, the men who have the power, have not so ordained it. You might be mm. able to, to defeat a, a, a school levy. And I'm sure Father Chagat has managed one or two in his day. <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, that's a, that, that's about it. We have to be we have to be gentlemen. We have to be modest in our in our requirements and our hopes these days. I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, people ask me frequently, you know, do you vote? And my comment on this is that well, yes, at the local level, I do because those are the people that have the most direct influence on my life. So, you know, at the local level and the state level, uh, the state level to, to a lesser degree, yes, I do. But I realize at the national level, I mean absolutely nothing, positively absolutely nothing, and it's all one big charade. So, yes, yeah, it's it, a charade. You know, I, find it, yeah, I find it kind of funny that, you know, people can name the president the vice president and maybe, if you're lucky, the secretary of state. But but they can't name their city commissioners. They can't name their they can't name their. I mean, some people can't even name their own city mayor. They can't name county commissioners. They can't name who their who their tax collector is. So that kind of speaks to the overall distraction of the right versus left. I want to finish up this section with this question here, and and that is this: I have heard so many conflicting things on this, or so many conflicting explanations on this, and and I'll kind of set the record straight here, and that is: Are Catholics bound to vote? Do we have an obligation? to vote, and is the lesser of two evils a viable choice? I hear people quote St. Thomas all the time on this. Well, you have to choose the lesser of two evils. I'd rather have Romney than I would Obama. Uh, And so what would your comments on that be? Does this matter? Should they vote? And are we bound to vote? Well, Father Chikai, what do you think from a strictly moral point of view? You know, I I don't think that we we are bound to vote. I've never uh, read that as a clear uh, <clears throat> pronouncement in terms of an obligation that the church uh, uh, lays down. I mean, uh, you know, Catholics were, uh, if we were, we would surely have found it in the catechism. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think so, that some uh, people may think... theorize that, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, you are in fact bound to vote. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, simply from if, a, if it, a moral make point a of view, I don't think so. Yeah, I think I think if you're to make a big difference, if uh, really your your it would depend upon your vote and something very very important, then you would be obliged to. But uh, this we're not talking about some you know some some little community in Switzerland or something where they where they vote on Sundays after church. It's it's a totally different world, and your vote as as a matter of fact is just part of the charade. I'm I'm sorry to say. So from that point of view, it would not be um, would not be obligatory. Other authors talk in terms of um, uh, the usual terms are used. As, as long as you're not voting, is not a showing such contempt for the government or to contempt for some some sort of a good uh, for which would require our respect. But indeed, the contempt that we're talking about here is that which is, is contempt for that which is contemptible. And the, the fact that I'm not going to be a play actor, why should I? It, it's a very good point, Justin. You've got this slate of candidates. You have no idea who they are. You have no idea what they're standing for. You're going to vote for them? I mean, I, I know I'm not going to vote for the school. I mean, I might vote for the dog catcher or against them, but that's about it. I don't know who these people are. It, then what's the difference between that 
and um, the standard communist election, where there's simply one slate, and you just go in, you just vote for the slate someone else chose you, because it's the same thing. You're voting for names for for that someone else selected for you. Well, yes, you excellent. At least if you vote for your dog catcher, you know you know the name of the individual who's taxing you to get your animal back. Indeed you do. Indeed you do. And if he doesn't catch those dogs and, and keep them away from my cats, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear I'm, he's gonna hear about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, okay, it's really those, not oh, like sorry, voting in or voting out the um uh, you know, a communist party that's going to uh start a persecution of the church because it's all uh, the uh uh, it, it is, in fact, a charade, and there, there's not, on the national level, uh, really a dime's worth of difference. No, there isn't. There isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a good way to go and end that segment on uh, right versus left politics. Did, did either of you, Your Excellency, Your Father, have anything you wanted to close with, or, or are we good to move on? I think no. we're, 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 I think we're good. Here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I'm, in jo- I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan and Father Anthony Chicada. And we've been uh, talking so far about right versus left politics in the first part of our show. We want to remind you that uh, Clerical Conversations on the Crisis is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Um, so moving into part two of our program, and I'm sure this is one that is sure to annoy Mr. Bergoglio and his people in Rome who say that the church needs to move on from talking about abortion and moral issues. Uh, but since we're Catholics and we're not Marxist socialists pretending to be Catholic, we're going to, we're going to discuss the seminal issue of abortion tonight. If you'd like to join us, uh, you can call us. Our phone number is 949-272-9417. We are taking Twitter questions uh, as well here this evening, and we will get to your calls here hopefully by the top of the hour or just shortly thereafter. So I think it goes without saying that all of us are affected deeply by uh, by abortion in this country uh, and the world. It's one that uh, it's one that involves quite a bit of attention in the practical order, and we're going to let our show guest tonight help us understand what we as Catholics are to do in the practical order about abortion. So, uh, Your Excellency Father, I have seen, um, I'm sure you have as well, that abortion seems to be this unifying social issue across the spectrum of religions. It seems to be something that Catholics can feel good to stand uh, in locked arm with with evangelicals and even the agnostics in good conscience. They can attend events or rallies. They can write letters. They can do all kinds of things. And somehow it's that, dare I say it, uh, it's that feel-good sort of social connection that we have across the spectrum of religions. What do you say about that? And can we as Catholics uh, engage in this behavior as it relates to abortion? Well, I think it's a it's a natural thing, Justin, especially for us because we're so by ourselves most of the time. If we if we ever could feel part of a crowd without compromise, what that would be a really nice feeling. But the truth of the matter is, no, probably not even here. I think uh, the whole appeal of abortion, the right to life movement, is a is a perfect example of the pull of uh, modern politics on a, on a right thinking Catholic today, um, but they, they use it. They use it to draw you into this whole program in, of naturalism. In effect, abortion is a real so, good example of something which simply distracts you and in effect ends up uh, dissipating your energies. Because the more you were to get into it, uh, in any kind of a political fight, the more you would be back in that 
the swamp we've just left, the swamp of politics, and that's, that's quicksand. So you end up trying to um, maneuver your way around those same forces that have, uh, have brought all of this destruction upon the church. I think you have, to, you have to stop and think, well, where did all this come from? You know, there was abortion before in our country, and it was a terrible thing before it was even legalized. Uh, it's, it's not only since Roe v. Wade that this has all come about. And if you look at the, the root causes of, of abortion, like any other sin, social sin or sin against the morality, life, the family, you, you see that it's, it's, it's connected very much with, with what? It's connected with indecent fashions. It's connected with dirty entertainment. It's very much connected with birth control. So how are you going to link hands, hold hands with, or link arms with uh, your evangelicals when they're all pill-popping Christians, born again, and they're on the second or third marriage, and they're going to be the pro-life people? I, I, by no means a separatist, and I, I wish I could stand with others for something. But let's look at the, at, at the root causes of abortion in our country, and let's realize that... Um, that there's a big difference between feeling good about rah, 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 and actually attacking the root causes to promote a change for the better. And that's what we are interested in doing as Catholics. You, have, you are definitely on to something there, Your Excellency. And uh, to go back to something you said a little bit earlier in terms of, of uh, involvement and sort of the expensive energy mm-hmm. uh, in the for Catholics in uh, these different pro-life political activities, uh, it would seem to me that the time would be a lot better spent in um, learning more about the Catholic faith and trying to convert people to the Catholic faith because people don't have a proper moral sense, and you have these problems in society. Uh, precisely because the Catholic faith is not promoted enough. Uh, And one would do far better trying to uh, perfect one's own spiritual life and to uh, uh, try to convert other people than expend a great deal of of, uh, uh, organizational uh, energy or uh, time organizing and uh, getting involved in these sort of political activities, which in the long run aren't going to make a difference anyway. That's that's certainly true, and I would I would maintain that not every weapon that could be raised against so great a social ill as abortion is necessarily a, even a legitimate weapon, much less a good use of your time, Father, as you say, and your energy. For example tactics of the revolution. So the bloody demonstrations and screaming and crowds and carrying on, people getting arrested, those are the tactics of the revolution. They aren't our tactics, nor are they especially efficacious tactics. The bad guys are delighted when things like that happen because all of that promotes uh, their agenda in the uh, end. Or another would be a blatant appeal to emotion, uh, to feeling. The sentiment, you know, the poor, the 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 the, the, the realistic pictures of, uh, of of what what is actually going on there. Well, sure, it's it's a horrific thing. You might get some young mother to be who would uh, therefore be turned away from it. But um, unless unless you get to the root causes of things, as, as I insist, you're not going to really be doing any good. 
there's a local rosary procession here, for example, in Cincinnati. And um, it's something actually that we began at St. Gertrude many years ago. And some of the uh, good people and some of the other many, many traditional churches in River City here uh, it took it over at some point, and um, now this is sort of a big ecumenical Catholic Novosordo rosary procession in January. But the the purpose of the procession is to funnel everybody into guess what? A Republican political rally, <laughs> and there is nothing more antithetical than to to what we stand for than Republican politics. That's not why we're praying the rosary. We're praying the rosary so as to really bring this stuff to an end. That's the reason for the masses of reparation. That's the reason for the holy hours. And that's the reason for the, the rosary, which is the most efficacious weapon at all. Uh, uh, the 20th century examples of rosary miracles, which saved society in different countries, were just that. They weren't rosary miracles that led to, a, led to some kind of a political rally. No, no. They were rosary miracles in and of themselves. God knows what to do. If you, if you give Our Lady the rosary, God knows how to take it from there, I think. What's your excellency? Just, just one thing, Father, real quick. Your excellency, yeah. Yeah, I can hear everything you're saying, and it makes complete sense, but can't you hear the people saying, but Father, but your excellency, what about the babies? What are, you know, we're standing out here for the babies. Don't you care about the babies? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard more, I've heard what, these things is, myself. And what is that except more of an emotional approach? And it's it's that gut feeling, it's sentiment, it's emotion that allows people to what? To be manipulated. By whom? By the man behind the screen, by the small groups that are pulling all the strings. And when you get manipulated, what happens? You get um uh, that Birchers would say, neutralized. You get drawn in. You get distracted. Your energies are dissipated. You, you are made the, the, uh, the um, admission price you have to pay in order to feel good emotionally that you're doing something is that you have to be drawn into a dead-end system. And I say no to that. I'm against that. One of the things that occurred to me many years ago when uh, it became widespread for traditional Catholics to get involved in, in these sort of uh, demonstrations of, of, against abortion and, and to uh, uh, demonstrate outside of clinics and to march on Washington and engage in different campaigns is that um, eventually my thought was that, that technology is um, going to render this particular uh, way of uh, objection to abortion uh, moot, uh, that someday it will be just simply a question of taking a pill, and that the idea of, of uh, demonstrating against clinics where abortions are performed, or, uh, say, trying to outlaw a pill, would be something that uh, uh, one would not be able to do. That the the so it would be in the long run an exercise of, of wasted energy, and you they're already have they're the, along the way, aren't they? But yeah, and, and uh, uh, they're getting there with something like that. There, yeah. So you have thirty years of of um, uh, the protests, and it's going to end up being moot anyway. Why? Because the root immorality uh, that's uh, behind it is uh, still going to be there. 
I would mm-hmm. make the distinction, Justin, between saying, all right, one thing is the dignified, beautiful, perfect prayer of the rosary, and another thing is the tactics of the revolution, you know, getting yourself mm-hmm. handcuffed and arrested and breaking windows and all that stuff or shooting at people, or um, the, the dead-end politics of, uh, of, of the American right. And, and republicanism. You know, I want to mention, too, about, I'm thinking about a priest that, that I once knew who, um, at one time, he was a walking expert on Father Fahey, the, the kingship of Christ, the social teaching of the church, and even for men's, group, men's groups in, around the country in order to, to give them good instruction on this stuff. He is a classic example of someone who got just swept up in this in the in this anti-abortion pro-life world and now he's entirely a political animal his church may as well be the republican party or fox news at prayer that's that's all they talk about and that's all they stand for and he lost he lost so much because he bought into this false solution to a real problem Hmm. so i think this leads us to Maybe maybe the biggest question of all here, Your Excellency and Father, is, okay, so what is the appropriate social action in the practical order for Catholics to engage in the abortion fight? I mean, what, what really are traditional Catholics to do in this matter? Well, I think we've, 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 been, we've been talking about the, the efficacy of a, of a public rosary and prayer. So private prayer, in a word, public prayer. That's very, that's very effective. Father Chicada mentioned something earlier about education. Education is one of the and, and, and the big picture, painting the big picture for people, which you're not going to do screaming on somebody's sidewalk, obviously. Um, but painting for our people to understand the big picture and for us, in each one perhaps in his own way, to be able to, to um, uh, elucidate the, those, those principles, those ideas to others, to get them to understand what really is, what really is going on here. That's what's going to make the difference. It's always um, it's always a question of education. Father, do you anything to add to that? Well, the that for me too is 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 the key thing: education and good example. You know, I, the uh, as far as uh, a some sort of a direct political action, it doesn't make any difference in. Uh, uh, it simply doesn't make any difference in the long run. That the modern uh, the modern political system, the managerial state, will uh, allow these sorts of things. And it's uh, in terms of political action, there's nothing really that we can do. But, you know, clean up your act. Try to, you, you lead a moral life. You encourage the ladies to dress modestly. That's already striking a big blow against abortion and the whole world in which abortion becomes not only feasible, but possible and, and, and shoved down everybody's throat. Uh, lead, a, lead a good life. Try to make Christ to be the king wherever you go and wherever you work. Put Catholic principles into practice. Understand the big picture. Share that big picture with others. That's what's going to make a difference. We had a question uh, who... who um is an email from from a name Dave, and I'm not sure that I can I can come up quickly because he wrote he wrote a rather long email. But he said, uh, "He said, Your Excellency and Father, I have a question or, or an issue to raise, and I wonder if you could respond." 
One concern that I have is that many people who are against abortion seem to believe that if abortion were simply outlawed and made illegal, that the problem would be solved. My concern is that even if abortion were made completely illegal in all 50 states tomorrow, and if all abortion clinics were closed tomorrow, that the widespread phenomenon of abortion would continue anyway, much of the same way that prohibition didn't work. Because so many people in our country wanted to consume alcohol, so I fear, too, that outlawing abortion, while perhaps shifting the social paradigm to some extent, that the underground network of back-alley abortions would then rise up. How could such law be enforced? Well, uh, oh. <laughs> it, first of all, it's, it's the duty of the government to, uh, to, not, to not kill babies actively or to allow babies to be killed. So you have the government just doing that. Of course, if, if someone, if, if one really wants badly enough to kill her baby, uh, she, she would find a means to be able to do so. However, I think as Father Takata mentioned earlier, this is rapidly becoming a moot point because of abortifacient pills that may now be, be taken. And the further work that is being done to develop this, 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 whole, this whole era may actually be passing even as we speak. I saw, and, yes, I saw an article uh, today, I believe, I can't remember what the news site it was, but we'll find it and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, post it in the show notes that uh, I think it was in the United States that abortions overall are down somewhere around 20% over the last, over the last year. And, and they're, they're down for they're down for a lot of reasons. Part of it is is is, is the use of birth control. Part of the the abortifacient type pills. Um, I don't know. Part of it is gay marriage too. I mean, that's a possibility. Because once 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 you get into the swamp, you're in the swamp. Mm-hmm. And I think also tying back to our uh, our first part of the program, you know, in terms of why republicanism isn't right for us, and Republicans have always lied to Catholics and Protestants, for that matter, by saying, well, you know, we'll, we'll be sure to nominate pro-life judges, particularly when it comes to the U.S. Supreme Court. But you look at the court, and seven out of the nine judges who are on the court are, quote-unquote, Republicans, but nothing has changed. It's not going to be made illegal. This, is, this, again, is part of the false right. I mean, exactly. this isn't going to change. Sure, you would think that at some point somebody would would have the the grace to be able to still to blush, but that's why they probably put makeup on politicians before they go on camera, so you can't <laughs> tell if they're blushing. But they, that actually probably wouldn't even be a necessary expedient because these guys have lost the capacity for blushing for shame. It's just it's just not present anymore, and so they follow the old. Uh, German uh, Nazi propaganda machine idea, you know, tell them a lie and then tell them a really big lie, and the really big lies they're going to, they're going to follow. And it just every now and again, someone scratches his head and says, wait a minute here, like, oh, they're talking about on the news this morning about Fallujah, and they, you know, here all of these soldiers gave their lives to capture this little city in, in Iraq, and um, that was 2004. And now it's fallen again. And, this, and the veterans are asking, what did we sacrifice so much for? Well, the whole question of the Vietnam War. What did we sacrifice for? And as you say, the judges in the Supreme Court. What did we vote for these men for? But they keep you distracted because there are some new people that you need to vote for, for some new supposed cause you need to get all excited about. And what a waste of time. What a waste of breath. What a waste of money. Imagine if all those people had been praying rosaries in the comfort of a, of a cool living room in Florida or even out, out on the streets in Washington, D.C. What a difference that would have made. What a difference. But no, people are co-opted. They're drawn into the swamp. They're distracted. And um, they're... Um, their, all of their good energies or good intentions are dissipated. The That's nature of, of, 
the uh, nature of the system is such that uh, on the question of uh, abortion, that uh, as as you know, an operation uh, performed by a doctor or whatever, uh, it's simply uh, not going to happen in terms of outlawing it because there's no uh, the the political system, uh, the managerial state renders it impossible. Uh, that it's it's something that's blocked by the courts. There's insufficient political will because our polit- uh, politicians are compromisers and uh, immoral in themselves. So it's it's a lot of wasting of your breath to say that um, you know we have to support the uh, politicians who are pro-life. It's not going to make any difference anyway. No, absolutely, absolutely not. I think we could all be in agreement on that. Oh yeah. Well, Your Excellency, you know, you mentioned too about you know what, what can we do? I mean, well, how about going? You know, if if you have the opportunity, how about going to the forty hours devotion, or uh, how about <clears throat> going to a weekday mass? So you know, a weekday mass where you're not just offering mass for the church mice and the cats. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, that that would certainly be extremely beneficial. There's a quote I just saw that we put in the bulletin for Sunday. St. Jean Vianney says that our Lord wanders around during Mass with graces looking for someone to give them to. So if we, if we, if we had some people there who were look, looking to receive graces, especially praying for their country and praying against this terrible crime and making reparation for it, what a difference, what a difference that would be. Uh, but I, I think, I think really the, 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 the doctrine here, the conclusion that we have to draw on both of these segments, Justin, is to say that, um, in some sense, not in, not in kind of a like, totally loony way, because we're not totally loony, but in some sense, we have to just have to get out of this society, because this is a society which is not only pagan, it's a society that has been built upon the ruins of, of Christendom, society which has been erected to destroy the Catholicism and obliterate the roots of, of the kingship of Christ in our world. We have to get out of this. You know, I was talking about the Chicago before the program. This, is, um, uh, this was the great motivation, they say, for the third century monastic movement, third, fourth century monastic movement in Egypt, that's how we get all the religious orders. First of all, it was the monks of Egypt, the hermits. And they left, uh, St. Athanasius says, they left the cities in droves, and they were looking for salvation. They wanted to get out of a pagan society because they looked upon the world in which they lived as a shipwreck occurring. And each individual man had to swim for his life. Just jump off the ship and swim for your life. I wish people had the sense that just jump, get away. Don't think their thoughts anymore. Don't immerse yourself in all of those lies and in all of that falsehood. Uh, There's got to be a better way. See the futility. See the fallujas of your life and your politics. There's got to be a better way to do it. And, And, of course, there is. But it's not a, a question of uh, not a question of uh, you know retreating to rural Idaho uh, to oh, no, uh, no. <laughs> you know to uh, Hayden Lake or ben, whatever it is. You know, Idaho. they've done that, right? I mean, how many people have we known that try to move into some sort of a of a little what, maybe a family compound or something like that, and uh, that that doesn't work either. What we stress is it's not something geographical. It's not walls or barriers against others. What we stress is education. Uh, Father Fahey talks about uh, the four things 
that we can and must do to, uh, to bring about uh, the kingship of Christ. And um, there, there are, one of them, of course, is, 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 is stressing the true supernatural nature of the church and what the whole supernatural world, the reality of it. Another is to do our best to try to make the state uh, respectful of the rights of Christ and, and, and of the church. Even, but those two, okay, granted, it's not too much you're going to be able to achieve on the practical level. The third father phase says is the Christian family, period, the Christian family. And then last of all, the development of the personality of the child through Catholic education. That's something we can all be contributing towards. Uh, you know, people that have, people at the time, they can be volunteering to teach a, to teach a course in a Catholic school. They can be working on a fundraiser to make that happen. Uh, they can be, maybe working with home education students and helping them in this or that field. Uh, there, there are so many ways in which we can form the youth and we can support the Christian family, the Catholic family. Those are positive things that can be done. They can be done anywhere and at any time and in any place. And, and this is not, you know, getting out and voting for the latest congressman who's got the latest Boy, that sounds really good, you know. And he's inviting you to a tea party, and do do you want Twinings or English Pico? Uh, no, this this is this is this is the real stuff. This is this is the real restoration that we're talking about. The the, sep- the separation um, has to be in terms of uh, in terms of attitude and how you look at things. Uh, yeah, and it's and it's not a, in a sense it's not a separation in the sense that. Um, you won't be an effective uh, lay apostle for Christ the King unless you have a ready smile and unless you want to draw people in, not, not keep them out. You have to draw them in, draw them into the truth, the truth, and perhaps use beauty. That's the beautiful thing about our churches and the true Mass. There's a beauty there that appeals to everybody on some level, even if it's just an emotional level, nostalgic. That could be a way of maybe drawing them in. Uh, the truth and beauty, are those are the great qualities of Almighty God himself, the transcendentals, and that has, that has the power still to draw even the most jaded and corrupt of men in towards the light. Try to get them in towards, don't give them a false solution, vote for so-and-so, and everything is going to be fine. No, 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 that's the devil's solution. Give them a real solution. Get them in towards the truth. So maybe they could hear a good sermon, listen to a good radio show. Hey, why not? Let's push Restoration Radio here. Uh, read a book. You know, God forbid I should read a book or an article. There's been so much that's written. It, let, let me educate myself on this. And then uh, let those that fathers of families have a real Christian family. Let parents give a real, decent Christian or a Catholic education to their children. That's what, that's what we're talking about. Your Excellency, Father, we have, I think this is a good way to wrap up this segment here of the, uh, of the show here. We have a question from emailer who identifies himself as Stephen, and he says, so what do we think about boycotts, Your Excellency and Father? I mean, what about the people who keep a spreadsheet or a document of who supports abortion and then we don't go there? For example, I don't support Starbucks because they support abortion. Is that a, you know, do you, do you believe boycotts are effective or, or is that just sort of a, you know, a feel-good solution? That's a feel-good solution that's just wasted time, wasted time, wasted money. No. Well, what I would ask is where has anything like that actually worked? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really can't mm-hmm. uh, really can't think of, of any situation. Certainly not with the nature of uh, modern corporations. 
where that actually has has uh, has worked, where they've they've uh, changed some policy or another. What about there are, there in the moral are, sphere? I mean, would they be sinning? You know, would they be sinning by supporting a company that that you know, like Starbucks, which is you know openly supporting abortion, or is that or is there a disconnect there in terms no, of the, the, moral culpability? Uh, uh, not not even material cooperation. No, it's no. it's uh, uh, so remote. Now, Father, are you saying this because you like Starbucks coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I, I would say this that you know a, a little bit of the the holistic or Catholic approach to life, um, people should certainly abstain from 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 a whole kind of a world or a lifestyle that's wrong, and so. There are those who, because they could, they would never be able to think about going to Starbucks because they've taken their marriage vow seriously and they're accepting all the children that the good Lord gives them. And they're lucky if they can afford to buy the blend at Kroger's or someplace like that. And they, they deserve respect and they deserve uh, our support. Starbucks is a good example of that whole kind of false base predicated on having no kids, chi-chi kind of world of the fashionable. TV and fashions are, uh, are, are other examples of that. And it's from these kinds of things that, in some sense, people do indeed need to just walk away. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that's a good way to end that segment of the show. For those of you who are just joining us, we are going to open the phone lines up uh, probably here in the next uh, five or ten minutes here. So if you want to call in and be part of the program, you have a question for His Excellency or Father, the phone number is... Again, that's 949-272-9417. Please keep your questions on topic to tonight's program so we can get get through the questions. Um, You're listening to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan and Father Anthony Chicana. Uh, This is a, uh, you know, we're moving into part three here. I think we we can cover this pretty briefly, but I think it's good because it's something that affects all of us, um, it, at least at one time or another, we've fallen into some way, and that's the draw of following current events on a perpetual basis. Um, anytime some event comes along that the mass media deems breaking news, I mean, for example, you know, the Boston Marathon bombing, and then, of course, it's subsequent follow-up stories, or, or simply, for that matter, the day-to-day news stream that we follow on the local, national, or even uh, um, international level, we tend to bite that hook and let, us, and let it pull us in. And, you know, in full disclosure, I mean, I'm guilty of this, too, because we live in a world that is a 24-hour news cycle now with the Internet, radio, and television providing wall-to-wall coverage of everything possible. And there's no doubt this is not healthy. You know, and uh, coming, coming from my personal position, I have said that you know, I don't believe we with this kind of information all the time on a perpetual basis. But you know, alas, this is the time we find ourselves. Your Excellency Father, I think we would begin this part of the program by asking – you know, why is being in the nose so attractive and so magnetic to people? Is this curiosity or is it man's nature? And I don't know who wants to take that question first. It's to get the weather reports, isn't it? To be scared by the <laughs> oh, that's well predictors. <laughs> the reason we're making that joke is is one that uh, something one finds in the winter all the time, and it's a perfect example of manipulation by yes. the media and stupid information overload that people are 
uh, spooked completely from going out anywhere because of uh, days the, in advance, the, the days in insane advance. weather, insane weather reports. You know, people won't come to church. And then uh, one of the uh, uh, staff members here was telling me uh, that uh, a, a couple of days ago there was an announcement of an ice storm, and Kroger's is is the big food store nearby. Uh, he said that he could hardly get a place in the parking lot uh, and that the shelves were in the process of being emptied because uh, people had been panicked by uh, by the snow reports. And uh, he said to the, um, the person who was checking him out after waiting a long time in line, well, when was the last time you ran out of food? Food at home, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah. but that's that's a perfect example of the uh, hype of the media and how people really get addicted to it and really take it seriously and are uh, manipulated by it. And that's that's what they use the the weather reports and the and the Fox News alerts and the rest to perfect what is already a, a pretty smoothly functioning system. The American people are as lemmings, as utter conformists, as self-policing, brainless workers who are just going to march to the same tune that everybody else is marching to. You know, God forbid that we should be, that we should be any different or any separate. That's, they, they use all of these means, and they're wicked and evil means, and people are stupid to allow themselves to be pulled into this. Here, you could be having a nice quiet day. You could be saying your morning prayers, listening to classical music, listening to your favorite sermon on some great site or something. And instead, what you're, you're, you're listening to some announcer who is, who is telling you what somebody has decided you need to hear and getting that drummed into you. Uh, it, the, 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 the effect is that you, especially if you're 24-hour type uh, news junkie, um, the effect is that you become fatigued, enervated, brainwashed, uh, and too tired to be able to deal with things that you really do need to be thinking about, oh, like mm, saving your immortal soul, maybe something like that. No, you, you have no time. I don't have time to pray, Father, but I do have time to listen to the TV. All, uh, I have Fox News on all the time, or I've got my, my, uh, my all, all news all the time uh, station on the radio. I have time for that, but I don't have time for the important things in life. And then the propaganda, the overt, and then the, then the, the more subtle propaganda is being is being put into your little head all the time so those are those are those are two of the of, of the great evils that somebody um oh some conservative writer wrote a few years ago about a disarming experience he was not a tv uh, watcher at all tv viewer but he was in a waiting room someplace and he noted the tv in the corner blaring as you see in um it's almost Orwellian, isn't it? Because you see the TVs now blaring everywhere, like in airports, for example. Well, he noticed that, that even though he had a book to read and he had other things to do, that his eye, despite himself, was drawn to the glaring screen and the moving images. It's, there's, there's something physiological about that. They know what they're doing. They, they've got most people addicted to this stuff. So they can feed them the propaganda. Now, how many steps are we different, for, uh, for, for distant from, I should say, North Korea, 
where the, 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 the TV just comes on, truly Orwellian, and, it, you know, to wake you up in the morning and to give you the morning propaganda dose. But uh, we, we pay for the TV. We pay for the radio. We pay for, pay for the noise to be, to be awakened, to be kept awake, and also to be slumbered into, in, into false security and sleep. And um, to, to get this propaganda drummed into our skull all the time. And it, it, it crowds out um, spirituality, and it oh, yeah. crowds out thought. You have you have no silence. That oh, yeah, it's it's it's, no. it's this uh, constant uh, constant drumming in the background, and uh, so many people's lives are are filled with that. That this this constant uh, uh, barrage of noise and and of propaganda that you get from the uh, broadcast media, and uh, you know people find it attractive, and it's because they can't concentrate on any one thing for too long, and that's, that's yeah. part of the part of the conditioning. You have what uh, you know. Uh, if you go to a uh, uh, hotel, you have what uh, sometimes sixty cable channels. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah. who needs sixty cable channels? Uh, except for uh, uh, distraction, where you go from one thing to another, and then if you, you sit long enough on, uh, say, watch one of them, uh, there's the it's constant ads going back and forth, and uh, all of this this manipulation of the image, and it's it's uh, something that is is uh, really uh, terribly bad and, and enervating for you. And, and the wickedness mm. of it is that, it, in, indeed, the, the medium is the, is the message. Um, that's what they're saying about Mr. B in Rome now. And God knows it's true. The medium does, does indeed become, not only is, is the message itself materialistic or immodest or, or rank filth, uh, are greedy and commercialistic, but the, the, the whole idea that the medium itself, this jar jars constantly, the jarring, constantly moving, jumping image that kids get into right away when they're given as little children these video games to play with, and then all the way through, that which is calm, that which is considered, that's gone. People don't read. They don't write. They don't listen anymore. Those are those are horrible. Those are horrible lacks in modern society, and it's the way in which we live and uh, breathe and entertain ourselves and allow ourselves to be used by others that that, that causes that. Well, Father, this was a question. You know, last night on on uh, Father Larrabee's show, uh, Introduction to Catholicism, he talked about near occasions of sin, and I'm just. I'm asking this question just as a point of clarification for the audience. I mean, would you say the 24-hour news cycle is an occasion of sin? Well, I mean, <laughs> that all depends on what's on it, you know. Um, well, sure. The, right. But the... Uh, it sure is a waste you know, of time. It, 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 it certainly is... is is in fact a waste of time. I mean, I honestly don't follow it. You know, I will see this sort of nonsense in, in uh, when I'm staying in a hotel or something uh, like that, and, and uh, I find it uh, offensive and, and brainless. And, of course, there are a lot of uh, immodest and immoral things on in the way of, uh, in the way of ads. But it's not, there's no reason really to subject yourself to it. Uh, 
it's uh, you're you're not gaining anything uh, in terms of useful information, or or in terms of education, or in terms of deepening your spiritual life. It's simply a waste of time. You're marching well, along. Father, I mean, you're I, marching across. Yeah, you're marching over over the cliff, basically. Uh, that's where they want I mean, you to go. I, I can't. Im- I can't imagine, Your Excellency, Your Father, you've ever, you know, you've ever made a sick call and given some of the last rites and ever heard them say to you, boy, I really wish I watched more news. However, if I had a, if I had a buck for every time I made a sick call or given the last rites and I had to try to fiddle with the, long, the control deal and get the darn TV turned off or at least turned down... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, 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 that would be that would be a, a, a princely sum, as they say. Oh yeah, because everybody does it. Those poor people. That's their prep. That's their immediate preparation for the reception of our Lord. And unless you make a fuss and insist, sometimes if there's, there's relatives in the room and that's what they're doing, they're watching TV, or else they just it's just it's like having a cat in your lap. It just makes you feel better that there's that noise. Noise droning in the background, unless you insist they won't even turn it off because they're not even aware of it. That's got to have all sorts of effect on all sorts of different levels. And uh, I don't know exactly you would call it an occasion of sin. Sometimes it is. But you're doing yourself a real damage, and you're certainly, it's always easy to find a sin if you're looking for it. And then probably the sin here would be the sin of sloth. It's a sin of wasted time and the sin of exposing yourself to this uh, this uh, mental uh, manipulation on the part of the bad guys behind the screen. Mm. Your Excellency Father, we have a caller, and his name is David. He's in Springfield, Illinois. And his question is that, uh, Your Excellency, you spoke about the small groups behind the Republican-Democrat Party. Who are those small groups? David, is that, is that summarizing your question? Yes, and uh, yes, His Excellency just mentioned that. Uh, who's behind the curtain? Uh, who would you say? I mean, they're controlling the politics, they're controlling the media, they're controlling the uh, financial system, and uh, who would you? Uh, I I would side with uh, side with, but I, I I I think that Father Fahey, in his books on the Kingship of Christ, sums it up very well. These are what he calls the organized forces of naturalism. Naturalism holds that man can achieve his purpose in life without any reference to anything outside of himself, a supernatural system. And naturalism denies either in theory or in practice the existence of God and that man would have certain rights or duties towards Almighty God. Naturalism denies all that. The organized forces of naturalism are uh, chiefly twofold, and the first would be the Jewish nation, who have always resisted and rejected our Lord ever since they denied him on Good Friday. And the other would be the um, Masonic conspiracy, uh, who, uh, who arose during the, the turmoil after the Protestant revolt, uh, which is another great force uh, for, for evil. In, in history and, and promoting a revolution. So it would, it would be the Freemasonic conspiracy uh, linked with, with Protestantism, perhaps, and then what Father Fahey simply refers to as the Jewish nation. These are the ones who have the money, and these are the ones who have the power, and these are the ones who pull the strings. And most uh, Americans, including most traditional Catholics, allow themselves to be fitted out for their strings like, like so many marionettes in a theater. Mm-hmm. There, is that and, your question, uh, David? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Go right ahead. I, I, yes. 
there are so many uh, uh, fellow travelers. You, you, you can see the influence of, of, uh, uh, of uh, both of these groups. Now, there, there are so many fellow uh, travelers who may not say explicitly uh, be members either of the Jewish nation or of the uh, uh, or of organized masonry. But now uh, those values have become so prevalent that uh, there are a whole series of interlocking uh, interests that um, uh, that work together, that uh, conspire in the sense of they 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 uh, breathe uh, together. If you look, so at it would be unthinkable the, not to not to go along with liberalism, say the the liberal democratic democratic ideal, so called, uh, not to, to to oppose that, not to go along. That that would just be beyond the beyond. Like you yeah, the idea, for instance, that. Um, uh, you know, absolute freedom of speech is that this is a, a good and a wonderful and is a positive uh, value. I mean, there are so many fellow travelers to to that uh, idea who are part of the power structure that it's uh, you know uh, unthinkable to oppose it. So you know, you you uh, multiply that by uh, uh, the influence of these groups by the uh, all those who have. Uh, embrace their ideas now. Okay, David, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's perfectly, perfectly. I appreciate it. Okay. And I'd like to say well, to any of your, your listeners out there, too, if they object to what you said about the Republican and Democratic Party being you know, just two different sides of the same coin, you're absolutely right. And you could see that in, uh, when Ron Paul tried to horn in on the, uh, on the power this last time oh, yeah. he was totally, totally shut out. Not that he really sure. could have done anything, but he right. was just totally stonewalled by the media. And uh, so that, that's when I woke up and, and left the Republican oh, Party good. and oh, good. Uh, embraced what you're exactly talking about. Uh, it's a complete waste of time. Yeah. Well, thank you for your call, David. Really appreciate thank you, you calling and asking the question. And um, Your Excellency's Father, this was going to tie into my next question, um, and the question was going to be, what is the Catholic approach to dealing with the media age? But we got an email from someone who asked to keep their ID private. But the question was this, Your Excellency Father, I'm curious as to what your advice would be for a spouse that is, that is addicted to the Internet and media, etc. Is there anything that I can do besides pray? Thank you. Mm, that's delicate because not only are you talking about you know some somebody who's addicted and then you, you're in that wonderful world of twelve step, but also if it's in, in, in the marital relationship here between husband and wife and it gets it gets uh, it gets a little bit complicated. Nagging doesn't do a whole lot of good for anybody about about about, about anything. Uh, a, a good uh, keeping your mouth shut basically praying all the time and a good eyeball-to-eyeball discussion where you ask questions and listen, backed up by prayer, that's, that's, that's extremely generic, but that's what I would recommend for starters. And in discussions of this sort, you have to, um, the, the um, offended spouses, or the, the, the um, person who's worrying about the other's uh, addiction, as it were, let's say, to, to, to uh, media, has to be very careful to use uh, terms that, uh, let's say, are neutral, not use, I guess, what uh, the Pope Elliot called words that crack. In other words, you don't want to 
um, uh, you don't want to make things worse by using uh, accusatory or uh, inflammatory language. You want to get the the uh, end result to get your opposite party to think a little bit more about this and uh, and not to be defensive about it. Yeah, engage your spouse and say, do, do you believe all this stuff? Do you accept all of these premises? Especially if someone is a traditional Catholic. Do, do you really think that this is all true? And if you don't, why are you, why are you accepting it all as true? And if you do, why are you accepting it all as true? Just, we're, we're Catholics. Why don't we look at some of this stuff together? We could list, we could program the, we could listen to something on the, on the, on the internet. Uh, uh, so, some good stuff. It would be the same kind of medium that would be comfortable to you. But why don't we try to inform ourselves as to what the church really teaches or to what's really going on in society? Mm-hmm. Well, this, yeah, I think this ties in here nicely to close out this segment. And this is the question that I was going to ask. This is, this is one that's just you know, personal to me, Your Excellency and Father. And, you know, we're living in a time now, the advent of what I would call the alternative media. And I, I think we would fall here within the definition of the alternative media. I mean, obviously, Father and Your, your Excellency, you're not heard on EWTN. Okay. So, well, right. Especially yeah. after, it, the, it, uh, after how we answered the question before this one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> of course, of course exactly. Justin, when, when, when you use the adjective alternative, I have to say, you know, it makes me think of alternative lifestyle, you know, and <laughs> what is the marijuana going to be no. passed out next year? I mean, you know, no. please define alternative before we go into Well, further. alternative being non-mainstream, we'll say that. Non-mainstream, you know, you know Fox okay, News, we're CNN, still ABC. <laughs> okay. Let me let me just say as a blanket a, a blanket statement from True Restoration, we are not implying alternative lifestyles in our media. On our media. Okay. A great so, sigh of relief goes out from the clergy. <laughs> <laughs> so, given that definition of being not part of the mainstream media. Um, is the alternative media something to be viewed as good? I mean, obviously, in the uh, in the secular realm, I believe that you have people like Alex Jones who would say that he's part of the alternative media. You you know, now you're seeing more and more blogs pop up, more and more podcasts pop up, and you know, I find myself listening to more podcasts than anything else um, because oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a breath of fresh air. Uh, so, sure, like you is might, this something you might to be viewed as good? Yeah, you might check a libertarian website, for example. Sure. For a, a word on maybe like on war, or militarism, something like that, or taxes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure, there, and you, you should be in, if you're going to consume this stuff, you should be an informed consumer. And there's a whole world out there if you know how to, if you know how to navigate, uh, keep your head above water and uh, avoid the occasions of sin or, or falsehood. Oh yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways this all of all of these new um, means can really help you to discover truth, the old truths. Yeah. Yes, and, and uh, this is something that um, uh, those who would be our masters find rather difficult to control. Yes, uh, even in communist because, China they can't, you know. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. and so that certainly is the good, the good aspect of it, that uh, the uh, idea of, of um, alternatives and choices and, and, and uh, liberty, is, uh, as it were, has come back to uh, sort of bite our would-be masters. So you, yes. you can use the, uh, you know, especially the, all of the stuff that's available uh, on the Internet, there's, there's much good. And 
that's um, that's a way of reaching people. I mean, we've had um, uh, much more contact, more contact than ever with Catholics throughout the world uh, now in this age than it was ever possible when we started out as priests with Catholics who were worried about the different uh, issues in the church and people who wanted to discover the truth about those issues uh, or simply people who wanted to discover the, the truths of the Catholic faith, that there, there's uh, so much if it's used well. So that what, is what, uh, the... You, that's a great cause for optimism, right, Father? Uh, you know, let's say you know, three chairs for Christian optimism and how good the good God is to us. You know, sir, the last day and hour, the end times and the rest of it are the, the very means that the bad guys have been manipulating for so long to destroy and to promote the goals of the revolution, those same means with uh, certain limitations and a certain prudence may also be employed to spread the truth, to discover the truth, to elevate and, and to unite Catholics together. Uh, it's a, it, it, it's a, the, in that sense, this alternative world is a wonderful world to get to know. You know mm. If you just take the um, uh, <clears throat> access, the question of access to the Mass, I mean, when we started out, the only uh, thing to do was you had to find a Tridentine Mass somewhere, and that was sometimes very difficult. Well, now you can uh, find out, uh, and it was a frequently trial and error, and you didn't know what you were getting into in terms of the different uh, groups that might be presenting a Tridentine Mass. Uh, so it was, was an extremely difficult process. Uh, but now, because this, there's so much information available, a lot of good information available, uh, you can have your questions answered relatively easily. And in terms of, say, access to the uh, 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 mass, uh, now we've uh, webcast our masses live. So if someone is stuck in the middle of nowhere and they can't get to mass, at least they can hear a sermon and unite themselves spiritually to a mass that's being celebrated somewhere else. And people regard this as a tremendous source of consolation. I think as long as we mm. keep in mind clearly that this is a means towards an end, mm-hmm. and it's not an end in and of itself, and it certainly has to be used with you know, just measure and maturity and, and moderation, then, then this, would, this, this pushes us a little bit closer, which is the idea. To the end of man, which the angelic doctor St. Thomas Aquinas would say, would say, is the contemplation of truth, uh, a, a world of all these different voices blaring at you, news alerts and, 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 and lies from the guys behind the screen, is, is, is the farthest thing possible from the contemplation of truth. But a, a prudent investigation and, and research and the, the discovery of true history and true Catholic principles and uh, could could uh, really be served very much by some of these alternative sources, and that that pushes us a little bit closer to that wonderful place of quiet. You got to turn it off at some point, guys, and contemplation, so that you can enjoy the truth in, in silence and in prayer and in thought. And Thomas Aquinas says that's the very end of man, and and uh, the, the highest, uh, indeed, the highest religious orders in the world are are those which are which are contemplative. We should we also keep the end of man, the going to heaven, the contemplation of the truth. There, St. Thomas would say we have to keep all of those great truths in mind uh, because it's. <laughs> It's, especially with so many options today, it's, it's easy to get lost, even, even for the good people to get lost. 
Mm-hmm. Your Excellency, that you mentioned earlier, you know, the, uh, you know, the, there are, you know, there are good alternative news sites out there. And again, I use the, you know, the term alternative in the proper context. And and yeah. such such, uh, such um, uh, libertarian websites. I mean, I remember whenever I first started breaking out of this whole, uh, you know. Patriotic brainwashing, um, and certainly I know you would disagree with the economic side of things, but um, you know I, I remember going to sites like um, uh, LouRockwell.org, and, and it started, you, oh, know, sure. you know, it, it started showing me that the the inherent flawed problems with such things as the military-industrial complex and the perpetual war state and the empire and things like yeah. that, and oh, it absolutely. begins, you know, when. Yeah, you know, when you read experts, you know, who who really have no vested interest other than speaking about matters to wake people up, uh, you begin to uh, get things that you don't get from that mainstream media like Fox News, CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, anything else. And I think those can be very beneficial, certainly kept within the proper context. And because they're always uh, those standard sources are always pushing politics as usual and the latest crisis from Washington and the latest war and our perpetual wars are pushing these things at you as a way to disorient you and as a way to to, to make you sort of a zombie in effect, a uh, voting zombie but a zombie, taxpaying zombie but a zombie. Uh, the, uh, the 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 attraction of these alternative sources is is, is, is it's, it's marvelous. It's very good. But then, don't forget, though, everybody, you gotta, gotta make time for just plain old, well, maybe come up, friend, come up a little bit higher. Listen to Restoration Radio, listen to some of these sermons and these classes and these conferences, and then maybe even do some reading. What, what, what plan does Almighty God have for the organization of society? Who's supposed to be the king here? Uh, what are we supposed to think about economics and, um, <clears throat> commerce and uh, trade and uh, lending of money and uh, and wars. Uh, the Catholic Church has something to say about all of this. We should inform ourselves on these things, and if necessary, we should actually do some quiet research ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the book that you know, you've referenced you know, for uh, some of our listeners who maybe have not heard of Father Fahey. Uh, uh, the book, The Mystical Body of Christ and the Reorganization, and the Reorganization of Society, excuse me, yeah. uh, that was a book that really opened my eyes. And, of course, oh, coupled great, with great. You know, the news, oh, you, it's phenomenal. And um, coupling that with, obviously, the things you're reading on some of the more you know, alternative websites and things like that that aren't mainstream, you begin to see things through, through the eyes of the faith. Um, and that's one thing that I always warn people against about talk radio and everything. And they say, oh, well, so-and-so makes a great point, or I watch Bill O'Reilly and, you know, on and on. And I say, listen, the, you know, these are people that aren't seeing, they're not seeing reality through the lenses of the Catholic faith. No, which means they're not seeing reality at all. They're seeing La Vie en Rose, you know. They, indeed, they've, they've, got, they've got sunglasses on, celebrity sunglasses, probably. And they're, they're, they, they just... They, they have to squint. They, 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 they can't take in the light at all because they themselves are in darkness and they want you to stumble around in the darkness too. Speaking of darkness, Justin, there's this quote that's been staring at me and I have to read it if you will indulge me. Because we're talking Absolutely. about the media now. <clears throat> this was, from, this was um, <clears throat> from the great Catholic convert G.K. Chesterton. Oh, and he wrote this about over a, over a century ago. So just kind of a, 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 imagine how more true it is today 
mutatis mutandis. He said that journalism, and back then that's all it was, was journalism, is a false picture of the world thrown upon a lighted screen in a darkened room so that the real world is not seen and the unreal world is seen. We live under secret government conducted by a secret process called publicity. <laughs> very, very interesting. Uh, and, and, and back then, I mean, you had to go out and you had to pay a nickel or something for a paper and you would bring it into your house and you would read it. But today it's everywhere. It's blaring at you, as they say, in airports and waiting rooms and in most people's homes. Even if you're bringing our Lord for a sick call, you have to fight against this stuff. Um, uh, and then Father Fahey, in, in the quotes that he that he uses in the foreword to one of his one of his works, Father Fahey talks about um, the uh, the idea that, that these people, many of them, at least a hundred years ago, they didn't really believe all this stuff. But if they told the truth, they knew they would be out of a job. And I'm sure there must be many a journalist, perhaps some even on radio or TV personalities, who realize what the truth is, and they've been told, "You're not going to talk about." We're not. We're talking about not this one. No, no. You put this angle on it, or ditch this story. That's how they manipulate news, and then they, they manipulate the truth for their own purposes, and they do that all the time. If you want to allow yourself to be manipulated, you're a real chump, and uh, that probably is some sort of an occasion of sin for sure. But if that was true a hundred years ago with journalists, imagine how much more it is true today with these these talking heads who come at you all day long. Mm. Well, uh, Your Excellency Father, I think this is a good place to go ahead and put a period here at the end of all these, all these sentences. And I want to give you an opportunity, uh, you, both of you, to, to, to kind of give us any closing thoughts you have on any of the topics tonight. And uh, Your Excellency, I'll let you go first. Well, um, I, I think what I would like to, to, to stress most of all is the, um, the plan of modern politics and the peril of modern politics, which simply draws you into the quicksand. It makes you compromise along the way, and it neutralizes you, it, dis it dissipates, it distracts you, and it actually gives you, finally, um, false information. You know, if uh, at, at, at our church, if we give a, uh, or over the years, maybe like in a, in a national election time, we give a, a sermon uh, pointing out some of the things we've, do, we've discussed in this very interesting program this evening. Somebody will always mutter and say, well, priests should really stay out of politics. I don't believe, you know, we should, you know, we, we, we really need to keep those separate. In a very invidious, inane, and uh, modernistic sense. And of course, that's entirely false. But on another level, it, politics is quicksand. And you really have to stay out of politics and that whole and that whole world of the men behind the screen behind it. And uh, I, I mentioned earlier in the show about a, a priest whom I knew. I think it's been done in by Republican Party politics and the pro-life issue, particularly. Another example of that, and a far more tragic one, I think, is the example of the popes in the 20th century, who. Uh, gave the church in very clear, um, uncompromising terms, 
Catholic teaching, the great uh, social encyclicals, for example, of Pius XI. But at the same time, the popes of the 20th century, this is you know, when, when there really were popes, uh, had this, um, this overweening confidence in their own political or diplomatic ability. And so they would spend a lot of their time dealing with presidents and politicians and peace conferences and all of the rest. And all of that was for them as so much wasted time and uh, leaving, uh, leaving the house open for the thief to come in without even hiring a babysitter to watch, watch, watch for the kids. And so that when the time came, because they had wasted their time and uh, uh, made so many wrong turns in the matter of practical human politics, uh, they set the church up for the horrible disaster which we are living through now for, for what, 50 years, 50 years now. Uh, standard issue, godless, modern, naturalistic politics are a swamp, and I'm going to say stay out. Well, it's hard to talk. Father, do you have anything to add? Now, Father, don't be modest and quite, shy. Quite hard <laughs> Uh, to top an eloquent Irishman, uh, the what I simply would say is is uh, to sum up is people have to be realistic about the uh, modern state and modern politics and realize that it is uh, in large part simply an image a, a, a projection. And as uh, the years have rolled on, this has been used to manipulate us, to make us uh, uh, servile subjects of uh, the state, and then at the same time distract us from uh, thinking about the essential things, which are our spiritual lives and uh, the, uh, the Christian family and making converts to the Catholic faith. And we've accepted this... Uh, we have the, the inclination to accept this image as reality. And, uh, in fact, uh, it's not. And the modern media have given us uh, a, uh, have, have magnified uh, this image and made it very attractive. Uh, but we have to see past this, this illusion in front of us as, as Catholics and concentrate on the things that uh, are truly important. Very well said. I want to thank both of you for your time this evening, Your Excellency and Father. Your Excellency, I know this is late for you, and I really appreciate you uh, you taking the 7 o'clock time slot on this, uh, on this season for this show. Anyway, and of course, I would always alert people that they can, uh, they can visit sgg.org uh, to see the happenings of St. Gertrude the Great. I had the privilege of visiting uh, the parish back in uh, uh, November now, and it was wonderful. And you can also go to SGG Resources to see much of Father Chicada's writings, Bishop Sanborn's writings. And uh, I don't know if your excellency, uh, if, if, if uh, you've engaged in uh, you know, the pen there, but also you can donate as well, and that's, that's very important. Uh, you know, these, these apostles do take money. And it can be, you know, a little or it can be a whole lot. They'll accept a whole lot, I'm sure. So uh, please visit SGG Resources and SGG, um, excuse me, and SGG.org. And uh, you, can, you can keep up to date and inform yourself with the, with the real stuff, so to speak. So, Your Excellency and Father, thank you so very much for your time. And, uh, I, I, you know, I really appreciate it. And I hope our audience has as well. Thank Justin, you. there's one thing that we forgot. Do you have another moment? What Absolutely. did we forget? We forgot to say a prayer. We did. Usually, we do start with a prayer. 
May I conclude with a prayer? This is one of the many prayers that, that Father, that Father uh, Fahey gives in, in his book and is one of the classic Christ the King prayers. We belong to thee, O Lord. We wish to be thine. We acknowledge thee as universal king, and gladly we consecrate to thee all that we have and all that we are. Do thou exercise over us all thy rights. We renew, we renew the promises of our baptism. We renounce Satan, all of his works, and all of his pomps. We pledge ourselves to work with all of our power for the triumph of the rights of God and of thy church, and that we may repair by submissive zeal and fidelity to our faith, our past sins, and those of others, entreating thee for the grace of loving thee with increasing firmness in the light of God the Holy Ghost. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Now we can conclude. Excellent. Thank you again, Your Excellency and Father, and our audience. Please thank them for their time with a small donation this evening. So thank you very much, Father. Or a large one. Or a large one. (laughs) We'll talk to you both soon. Thank you for your time. Thank you. God bless you, then, both. God bless. Bye bye. We at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you, or to your Catholic faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. And uh, we would like to say also to those of you who have donated a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and your generosity, and we really mean that. We're also very appreciative of our clergy's time this evening, and we hope you are as well. If you have any comments or questions, we'd like to hear from you. If you'd like to reproduce our work on your channel in some format, we'd like to hear from you. So feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, or you can contact us via email at clerical at truerestoration.org. For the restoration, I'm Justin Soder, and may God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.